Good morning. Now, I need to um, say this before I begin. Some people with long memories uh, might remember some of what I say today, because I think I may have talked about some of this before when we were here. This parable of the mustard seed is one that we've been working with for quite a while, and it keeps coming and feeding us and has ties to our ministry. But you might be like one man at a church where we used to pastor. He said to me one time, you know, I just love your sermons. But he said, I never remember from week to week what you said. He said, you know, you could preach the same sermon every week. And he said, I'd probably love it every week. So you, uh, there may be hints of things that I've said before here at East Chestnut Street. It's good to be here today. We're finishing up six weeks of speaking in churches uh, in eastern Pennsylvania. And then tomorrow we hop on a plane and we're back into 90-degree heat in Sydney uh, where bushfires are now burning in western Sydney. So um, this weather today is our winter for this year, um, and then we're back into summer. I want to begin with a poem about the kingdom of God. It's one that um, we have found meaningful in thinking about the ministry that we have in Australia and New Zealand. But I think it's also a helpful one for all of us in thinking about our relationship to the kingdom of God. It's a poem that was written in honor of Oscar Romero. It's called A Future Not Our Own. It helps now and then to step back and take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives include everything. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water the seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces effects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing this. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Now, I want to look at two parables today from Matthew 13. In Matthew 13, there are a number of parables about the kingdom of God and, and, and what this is about. And Jesus often spoke in parables to try and describe to people what God's reign in this world was all about. The Greek word for parable literally means being thrown alongside. And Jesus would tell these parables and throw them alongside of, of life as they knew it. And it often 
was a way of turning things upside down. It was like throwing a hand grenade into their everyday existence. And that's what parables were meant to be. Now, we've read parables for so long, and we've had them explained to us for so long that they become rather blasé, and we think they know what they mean. So today, allow yourself to to experience something like a hand grenade in your understanding of what the kingdom of God is all about. One commentator says, Jesus' parables remind us that the faith we preach and the kingdom we announce finally isn't an intellectual idea, but an experience, an experience of the creative and redemptive power of God that continues to change lives. And sometimes the only way to get beyond our head and into our hearts is, as Emily Dickinson advised, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. And so parables come at us sideways, catching us by surprise to take our breath away at the beauty and depth of God's promises. Two of these parables we already had read to us today. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make its nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now, this is something that is common in Luke, a story about a man and a story about a woman. But Matthew also has it here. Two parables, one about a man planting in his garden and one about a woman cooking with yeast, a leaven. Now, Jesus' hearers would have been shocked when they heard these parables. Because a mustard seed was a a weed that you did not want in your garden. And yeast, every other time in the Bible when it talks about yeast, it talks about the pernicious aspect of sin in our lives. So it's like, what's going on here? Why is Jesus using these different images? A contaminant and, and a pernicious weed, what's going on? Well, one commentator says, why then compare the kingdom of God to a pernicious weed and a pollutant? Ah, he says, because both the mustard seed and yeast have this way of spreading beyond anything you'd imagine, infiltrating a system and taking over a host. Might God's kingdom be like that? Far more potent than we'd imagine and ready to spread to every corner of our lives. How might we we regard routine invitations to read the Bible, pray, and come to Sunday worship if we thought these things might lead to our lives being infiltrated changed and taken over by God's reality and rule. Now, the common understanding of this parable of the mustard seed is like this one I found online. The message and meaning of the parable is this. There is an incredible growth of God's reign in the world. We can talk about the incredible growth of God's reign in a person's life, in our own lives. The focus of the parable is growth, explosive growth, and enormous growth. It's all about this tiny seed and you plant it and the kingdom of God is going to be this massive thing that takes over the whole world, a a Christendom understanding of what the kingdom of God is all about. A few years ago, I came across a book by Gary Harder, who is a Mennonite uh, pastor in Canada, and it was kind of his... Uh, a book written about his years of being a pastor. And in there, he had a a different way of understanding the the mustard seed parable. And it's one that, that set me on a path to a new understanding, and I've been working with it ever since. He said... He said, something doesn't compute about this. He said, first of all, the mustard seed is not the tiniest of seeds. There are seeds that are smaller. 
And he says, second, it doesn't grow into a tree. It grows into a low bush at best. And he says, so Jesus is, is messing with our heads here. Something's going on. Had he wanted to use an image of something that was going to grow and take over the world, he probably would have used the image of the cedar tree, which is used over and over again in the Old Testament as this image of something massive. Like here in Ezekiel 17, on the mountain height of Israel, I will plant a noble cedar. Under it, every kind of bird will live. In the shade of its branches will nest winged creatures of every kind. But no, he didn't talk about a tree. He talked about this pernicious mustard seed. The kingdom of God will not grow to world domination as symbolized by the cedar tree. This is a Christendom view of this parable and a misunderstanding of what Jesus was saying about the mustard seed. Uh, we were in a church a few weeks ago and they, they sang this wonderful song before I got up to preach. And it was this traditional understanding of the mustard seed and you plant a small seed. And I had to get up and say, well, now I'm going to take that whole song apart with, with my sermon because Jesus is doing something different here. He's not talking about a world-dominating kingdom. He's talking about something that is small and gets in there and takes over. Gary Harder says, The mustard plant is famous for two qualities. First, it is an uncontrollable pesky plant. It grows wild and was almost impossible to cultivate, and if you did get it to grow, you couldn't get rid of it. It was this weed, as I said, Jesus' listeners would have been shocked, particularly the religious leaders, because they would have known that you're not supposed to mix things up in your garden. There are these rules that they had in Leviticus about the clothing you wore, you wore and the kind of people you associated with and what you put in your garden. In Leviticus 19, it says, You shall not let your animals breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your fields with two kinds of seed, nor shall you plant, put on a garment made of two different materials. So the religious leaders would have been shocked at what he's saying. Somebody planting mustard in their garden? And then once you, you, if you did plant it and got it to grow, you couldn't get rid of it. Harder says the plant is unruly, subversive, it mingles, it messes up, it is wild, it can't be tamed. It's like jazz music refusing to fit the proper categories. The kingdom, Jesus said, is like a mustard seed. Pesky, wild, uncontrollable, exasperating, and subversive. That's what the kingdom of God is about. God's movement will not advance by being the largest thing around. It will advance through subverting other kingdoms and other world movements. In Jesus' time, the Roman Empire, in our time, any empires that there exist. Now, another thing that he says that is unusual. If you're a gardener, you don't want birds to come into your garden. Birds are pests. And he says in here, the birds of the air will come and make nest in its branches. In Jesus' time, the Gentiles were represented by the birds. And the good Jewish people didn't want the birds coming into the kingdom. So again, Jesus, what are you doing here? Secondly, in biblical times, the mustard plant was considered a medicinal plant. It was a cure-all for everything from sore throats to snake bites. Mustard was a symbol of healing, which was one of Jesus' primary ministries. Daniel Deffenball says, How much more appealing to think about the spread of this invasive species, this metaphor for the kingdom of God, as a reintroduction of health and healing into our world. Harder sums up the parable this way. The spirit will never, ever be limited by our way of gardening. He says, I'm a nice um, 
Mennonite gardener, I like to have things nice and neat and in rows, just like in that song we sang today, you know, plant things nice. He said, that's not the way God gardens at all. God is out there spreading around mustard seeds. So he said, the Spirit won't follow our nice, neat way of doing things. The Spirit will bring together people we think should be kept apart and will mess up our interpretations and categories. The Spirit will do all that to bring healing to our world and to the church. Deffenbaugh concludes saying the parable speaks to us as individuals, but we need to begin acknowledging its significance for our social and political lives as well. The inauguration of God's kingdom has begun, and through the Creator's grace, it will soon come to its full, and I love this expression, disruptive fruition. Uh, We were speaking in a church in Perth in Western Australia a few months ago, and we were talking about this parable, and one of the guys says, if you ever handle mustard plant and and mustard seed, it's an irritant. It, It is not something that is pleasant. And I thought, you know, there are times when our presence in the world is also meant to be an irritant, a disruptive presence in the world. He goes on to say, we have two roles to play. First, we must in all things act as an equally disruptive presence in the midst of the old order, the way things are, the status quo. But perhaps our greatest calling is to be what mustard had long been in the Mediterranean basin of the first century CE, a healing presence. Maybe this was the original reason for the gardener sowing this plant in the first place. If so, how much more so should we allow ourselves to be cast as seeds of shalom into a broken world? Now this second parable talks about yeast. And yeast is something that has a connotation of fermentation and it gets into its host and it takes over. It stirs up change and it brings about transformation. I read recently a book um, by John Howard Yoder called A Theology of Mission, A Believer's Church Perspective. It was the text for the course that he taught on missions at the Mennonite Seminary in Elkhart. And in there, he talks about a certain kind of ministry that is a yeast kind of ministry. He was describing different ways of being missionaries or mission workers in the world. And he had five or six different descriptions. And one of the ways that he talked about was the way of integration or identification. It's a yeast kind of ministry. He says, there are places in the world where it is possible to go rather far in integrating oneself into the host culture like yeast, getting in and being present and working in the culture. You can take on citizenship, educate your children in the culture, and retire there. Those are the kind of possibilities in those settings. Yoder says they become permanent members of the local community. They would still bring the particular gifts associated with having come from somewhere else, but they would progressively seek to release their status as missionary and to become a permanent immigrant member of that community. And he describes a number of places in the world where it's possible to work this way. And the first country he mentions is Australia. And this was long before any Mennonites were were going off to Australia. But this is the, the kind of ministry that we've taken on over the last 24, 25 years in Australia and New Zealand. Taking on this kind of yeast ministry, becoming citizens, living there, probably someday retiring there, becoming part of the people. And that gift that we bring from away is the gift of the Anabaptist tradition, that gift of radical discipleship and and saying that peace and justice have something to do with our faith and the way we live it out in this world. 
So we're trying to have a yeast type of ministry in Australia and New Zealand. Now, I want to return to this idea of planting seeds. Um, I don't know how many of you listen to Krista Tippett and On Being. Uh, comes on Sunday mornings here, I think, on WITF at 7 o'clock. It's a wonderful program. We listen to the podcast um, often in Australia, and I include a lot of her uh, podcasts in our weekly mailing. She's a wonderful interviewer, and on this program, she says, we, we talk about the big questions at the center of human life. But recently, she was interviewed, And in this interview, she talked about seed planting. And I liked what she said. She said, the things that we are doing are like a small seed. But I feel like if you plant seeds like that, you send them out into the world. And I'm not in control of the effect. But I feel like something happened. I feel like something happened in the room. And I feel like something happened when you put the radio broadcast out. You know, when you write an article, you do something to the best of your ability and you send it out. You do set things in motion. And I trust that process. That's what we're about in Australia and New Zealand, planting those seeds of the kingdom and trusting the creator to take them and to use them. And we have no idea what the end result is going to be. Let me close with where I began. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water the seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces effects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing this. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, all of us, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Amen.